0: I'm drinking from the fire hose as far as how to be a good grandparent. Already, statistically, I'm definitely expecting to be a grandparent sooner rather than later. It's something that I'm really looking forward to. If I'm a grandparent at forty, hey, I'm here for it. And
1: hello, and a heartfelt welcome to all our listeners as we embark on season four of the Family Twist podcast. I'm Kendall Austin Stulz. And my life's story is a tapestry of unexpected turns from being adopted as an infant to losing my adoptive parents by the time I was 17. And then, in a twist of fate, finding my birth family through the magic of DNA testing in 2017.
2: And I'm Corey Stolz, Kendall's partner on this life adventure. When we uncovered his paternal birth family's roots on the East Coast, I knew our next chapter was calling us there to mend the missing pieces of Kendall's heart with the love of newfound
1: relatives. Our podcast began as a single thread, a narrative of my own, but it is woven into a vibrant quilt of stories celebrating the complexities of DNA surprises, adoption, donor conception, NPEs, surrogacy, and the myriad ways families come together.
2: Together, we've been welcomed into an incredible community with each guest sharing their own family twist. And through it all, we found strength in each other. Thank you for letting us share our passion and these remarkable stories with you.
1: The bonds we formed with you, our listeners, and the stories you've shared have only deepened our commitment to this journey. Family Twist isn't just a podcast, it's a celebration of the unexpected ties that bind us all. Thank you for joining us on this fantastic ride. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Dylan Stone Miller. Get ready for deeper revelations about Dylan's journey including his interactions with other donors and the donor conceived community and the unexpected turns his story has taken since a wall street journal article in summer 2023 we discuss the complexities of navigating relationships with biological children and their families the legal and ethical challenges of the fertility industry and the personal growth that comes from such unique experiences i found a guy in the bay area who had gone public
0: about meeting and spending time with his donor children for about the last 25 years and i realized whoa i'm not the very first person to do this thank goodness for this man i jumped on the phone with him and just told him hey here's my situation and i see that you have been doing this for a while could I ask you some questions and he talked my ear off he, he was so helpful just gave me a model for validate a lot of my experiences around dating <laughs> with This many biological children and around dealing with some of the families, dealing with some of the raising fathers who exist in this space also gave me some things about what the future might look like with this. Like in high school, they'll have more autonomy. They'll be able to travel. You could actually get everybody together and in one place once a year at say a lake house. That's what. This has done. Then he says "And in their 20s, they'll it'll be harder to connect with them because they'll have their own lives and stuff. For now, enjoy this golden age of when the kids are young. He helped me have a model for what I'm doing and validated a lot of my experiences. As far as my support network now, I, I have reached out to Donor Conceived Community. And, uh, it's, it's a nonprofit who does support groups for, for everybody in the donor conception space. And that helped a bit. I'm sort of dealing with some still very unique issues, even within that community. Since I came out publicly uh, that I am a donor and started to post things on a public Instagram and my TikTok and everything, I have gotten contacted by a number of donors who have gone through similar things and starting to feel much more like there is a community around me. The way the donor-conceived community has showed up for me, donor-conceived folks and recipient parents and everybody involved since the Wall Street Journal article came out on me at the end of August has been really moving. They've really helped me get through what has become another difficult chapter in this story. Here, Right. Can you talk a little bit about what led up to the article? I knew that I really wanted to take on this multi-billion dollar industry that was making a lot of money off of me and of off of other men. And uh, from my perspective, exploiting adolescents' for their own profit and damaging the children that they're creating by creating so many, by not giving them access to after medical histories and all sorts of issues um, that they were responsible for. I knew uh, the more that I dove into this and the more that I understood the experiences of my own biological children and the parents of my biological children, I realized these are real issues that affect a family very deeply This industry needs to change. I reached out to some lawyers to say, hey, here's my contract. And here are some recordings that I have of Xitex telling me that they are well over the limits that I agreed to. Here's a bunch of proof that they did not protect my identity, which was in the contract that they would. What are my legal options here? I I figured if we could set some legal precedents for this, then maybe we could have a class action lawsuit. Maybe we could go the legal route to, to, to hold accountable The company that is responsible for this situation. I talked to some lawyers and it was very difficult to find anybody who would take the case on contingency. If a lawyer agrees to get paid only when they win, that's something that I can afford. But I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to front a case against a company who has their own giant legal team, uh, who does have many active lawsuits against them right now. If if I'm the first person to try to sue them for this, then that would shock me. There are a few assumptions that I made, like the legal route just isn't quite the right way to go. It it didn't seem like a very high success rate in that direction. So I figured, okay, it's time to start doing some advocacy work. We're going to go the public route. We're going to influence the public's opinion by sharing the truth about what This company is responsible for. I started my Instagram. I started doing TikToks and just sharing my experience publicly. Within, I think, two weeks, I was connected with this Julitzer Prize-winning journalist who writes for the Wall Street Journal. And she had written some things that were very pro-donor-conceived in the past. She had a track record of writing from the right perspective about the donor-conceived experience. And between her accolades and the fact that the wall street journal has 3.7 million subscribers and that she has an ethical journalistic track record i said this is great uh yet another too good to be true situation i don't know what happened throughout the process but we spoke for maybe 30 hours total she interviewed many of my immediate family members she came out and interviewed one of the families while during a visit of mine with them she interviewed a couple of other families as well and The narrative that ended up coming out was inaccurate, reductive, got some facts wrong and really seemed to promote a a more conservative perspective that what I was doing was wrong, that my motivations were uh, personal. It it started this difficult chapter uh, that I was referencing earlier. It gave me an opportunity to boost my platform. I've been speaking with radio stations and news channels, and I'll be on a talk show in Barcelona next week. When all is said and done, the advocacy route, though there have been some speed bumps, we're continuing to push the need for change in this industry and the need for le- uh, legislation that regulates. This industry so that the rights of donor can see people and donors like myself and the parents have all of the rights that they need to raise happy, healthy families. Absolutely.
2: When I first started messaging you, you mentioned that because of the, the article that some of the families got a little bit of cold feet and wanted you to slow down a little bit. What got them over that hurdle?
0: Well, as far as the, the trepidations and some of the valid concerns that that the mothers have is, well, who is this man and what are his motivations and why should I let him around my children? Very valid fears that we're willing to, to take the risk, I think because they understood how important it is to their children to know their origins. They go to school and their school is celebrating Father's Day. And these questions come up, particularly in queer families or, or with single mothers where do I come from and where am I in, in the family system? Where's my biological father? They recognized the importance of that. And I think gave me a shot in the beginning, after again, months and months of building up trust and friendship, as well as me answering questions. I sent my 23andMe results to them. So was really doing everything I could to say, here's heart on my sleeve, open book and give them, what they needed to start to feel that sense of trust. But I'll never forget. I was welcomed into the family who reached out to me first. They welcomed me into their home. It's the first time that I'm in their home and I'm playing with their daughters. Uh, the mother looks over at me, not the one who reached out, but the other mother who is much more of a skeptic. She looks over at me and out of nowhere, she says, why are you here? I was taken aback. I was playing blocks with her little girl and and I didn't know what to say. I, I I didn't expect to have to defend or justify my compassion or to justify wanting to multiply the love in my life. Uh, I, I just didn't know that this was going to come up. I thought I had kind of earned their trust enough for them to welcome me into their home. But in retrospect, yeah, I, I mean... This is going to be a process, right? The first thing that came to mind was what one of my bachelor friends said a single guy in his early 30s. You get to travel the world, spending time with your children, and other people raise them. That's every man's dream. It's a joke. It's very reductive. It's a very limited perspective, but it's funny. That's where my friends were coming from. That's the type of support that, that I was getting. I say this to her and it gets a chuckle, but it certainly does not sway her of why I'm doing this. And it wasn't really meant to. I I just didn't know what to say. I think that I had to say anything. The rest of the play date goes on and and I'm saying goodbye to their older daughter. I'm holding her and and we're looking into each other's eyes. It's a very sweet moment. And she's rubbing my beard stubble at being the only beard stubble in her two mom life. And... We're just staring into each other's eyes and connecting. And it comes to my mind to say, what am I doing here? What are these people talking about? And (laughs) something about that interaction of me just sweetly and just sitting in the shared unconditional love with their daughter. The next time I look over at the mother, she's giving me the warmest smile and, and recognizes, oh, this man, like genuinely... I don't know whether she used the word love or or wh- whatever term she wanted. She recognized that my intentions were pure, and that was a big shifting moment in in our relationship. and And she was warm to me after that. Uh, still, it's it, we're, we continue to navigate the boundaries within that. Am I going to feel entitled to to the children more so than I should be? And there are genuine legal concerns for a mother who's not on the birth certificate. There have been situations in conservative states like Oklahoma where where uh custody ends up going to the genetic father. And that is not something that I want. But if that's a legal concern for a queer person, I have to seriously respect that and give them as much reassurance as I can that that is not my intention to... Ever, I couldn't. I would go broke. Yeah, it's not my intention. Regardless, uh, it 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 took seeing my genuine love and and this this shared two way unconditional love between me and the kids for many of the mothers to recognize that this was a relationship that we should continue to
2: foster. Right. You mentioned traveling. How many of your biological tri- children have you met?
0: I have met 25 now. I have plans to meet 26 in about a month. I'm in connection online with the parents of 45 of them. I also met two new ones via Zoom who actually contacted me because they saw the Wall Street Journal article and my subsequent podcast with Laura High. That was a great side effect of what was a somewhat traumatic experience with the Wall Street Journal.
2: What is the age range of your biological children? The 97th child was born just a few weeks ago. And the oldest that I know of is 10. Wow. Wow. Is there more of your genetic material out there that there could be more children popping up?
0: They have retired me. I joke, they hung up my jersey in the rafters at Zytex. They are able to continue distributing to families who have already had a birth by me. And that could be a lot of families based on their policies for reporting births and for distributing until the limit is reached. Basically, they continue to distribute my sperm until the number of reported births came back to them and reached that limit of 40. But there's no law requiring parents to report the births. They just kept distributing and distributing and distributing. They could have distributed to hundreds and that reporting rate is typically 40%. But if we use that 40% number, then in reality, I likely have more like 250 biological children among around 150 families. So these families who have already had one birth and want a full sibling, they can continue to receive my donated sperm. They do have more genetic materials. ITEX still has my genetic material because they didn't tell me this at the time, but each donation they split into at least five to eight sellable vials or more. The number of times that I went in, I estimate between three and 400 times, which the average is 200 per donor.
2: But you were definitely going to hear about Number 100 before.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I believe so. Both Zytex and I expect many, many more reports of births to come in over the next eight to 10 years or so, uh, as the children approach that age 18, the legal age, when they can reach out to me, I have a recording of them saying, yeah, back some more.
2: I don't know your relationship status, but at what point in the dating process do you (laughs) share your story?
0: This is a million dollar question. I used to just drop it at any given time. I was over full, you know, I would need to release the, the pressure at some point. After 45 minutes of, of a first date, I was like, I got to tell you, I have 96 kids. It would just kind of come out and it, it was not cute. It was not yeah. you know, consensual even. It was too much to drop on people. But what date? Was the first Date, the third date, the 10th date. Got to tell them what I learned was more how to communicate it, which I will start by saying, Hey, you know, there's this little boy that I was raising with my ex wife. He means a lot to me. I spend some time on Saturdays with him. Like, just letting you know, how do you feel about that? And if they're like, Whoa, 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 kids? No, then I'm like, Okay, well, the rest of this information, not for you then. And the date fizzles. The next sort of phase of that would be, I helped some friends concede and see how they react to that. And they say, oh, wow, so you have biological children out there as well as that. And I say, yep, I sure do. And the next step is we're in contact and I've met the kids and then eventually we work up to the number. I, I identify as straight and communicating with women in their late 20s or early 30s who want to have kids. I have to be really sensitive to their situation and Sometimes saying, oh no, I got a bunch of kids really now where I am in my dating life, I'm technically single, but have connected with various women who either don't want kids or already have kids or, but just to have a different view or perspective than the traditional let's make a family. More or less eliminated the women who ha- want kids and don't have kids from my dating pool, in part, because I don't think it's really ethical for me to bring more children into this world. And it would be a lot to manage uh, as far as maintaining the children's mental health. And it would just take a lot of me to, to be able to do that, where I think I'm in a very unique position to have the fulfillment of kids and try to take care of myself and, and maintain my own life. Sure. As your uh, friend said, living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. It turns out though that the dream is exhausting. It's very beautiful. I I, I do have to remind myself to be grateful. Still working on mental health as I navigate this.
2: Because there's a lot of mystery around the donor conceived world. What are some things that people who are listening right now can do to help the cause of getting the truth out there?
0: What I love seeing is people commenting on my TikToks or my Instagram, oh, I'm donor conceived and I have this many half siblings. And here's how we communicate. We have a discord channel or we meet regularly on an annual trip or something like that. I I love hearing the stories of donor conceived people. What that does is a few comments later, I'll get someone saying, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was happening so much, but scrolling Mm. through all these comments. Like this is a thing that's happening at serious scale. There are an estimated 1 million donor conceived people living in the U.S. alone and millions worldwide. It's happening more than I think people think. Helping take a little bit off of me having to defend some of my content or having to explain to people that this is happening more simply by sharing your story. You're sort of sharing the, the load of, of us communicating to the world that this is real and and that there needs to be some change with, within all of this. Um, uh, they can also donate to USDCC and find a support group at doing some awesome things. We just had a, a small victory the other day from a legislative perspective. They're doing the work to make sure that the, there are more laws uh, around this. That's going to be the difference here in the US. So donating to USDCC. She is a great way to support. Also take care of yourselves too. Find a support group a daughter, and donate to them as well.
2: Going back to uh, what you said earlier and I've always believed that humor is very important in every aspect of life. So this is only a half serious question, but it's half serious and half serious. Have you thought about what kind of grandfather right. you're going to be?
0: Wow. I love that question. What it makes me think is I'm kind of playing the grandparent role, if you will, right? I get to swoop into town, take them to the theme park, and maybe spoil them a little bit if I can afford to do that. Uh, uh, And I I feel in many ways that my role in their lives is already very similar to uh, the role of a grandparent. There's this genetic connection. We just understand each other intuitively. We think alike, we act alike. We know their parents and we do fun stuff together. There's a little bit more depth to it, for sure. I think I'm drinking from the fire hose as far as like how to be a good grandparent already. It's funny you mentioned that.
1: I was thinking more cool uncle, so I'm just going to throw that (laughs) out there. (laughs) but
0: Yeah, I think cool (laughs) uncle is is definitely valid, too. I have some real weird uncles, so I I like to think of myself more as a grandparent.
2: All kidding aside, within the next decade or so, some of these kids are going to start having kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, statistically, uh, definitely expecting to, to be a grandparent sooner rather than later. There are a lot of things that I, I have no control over too, within this. in fact, I I don't have control over hardly any of it, except for my outlook. It's something that I'm really looking forward to. If I'm a grandparent at, gosh, 35 might be a little early, but 40, Hey, I'm, I'm here for it, you know? And yeah, it's a definite and
2: distinct statistical probability. Hmm. Wow. Your, your story is super unique and there's no. Map for navigating this type of journey. But speaking with you, clear that you've got a really good head on your shoulders. You've got a really good outlook. And these kids are lucky, fortunate to have you be part of their lives.
0: Thank you so much for saying that. I, what I will say here is this has been one of the easiest conversations I've had uh, about this. And there's something about your energy, the two of you, that really just made me feel safe and open and excited to share this stuff. And I I really appreciate your thoughtful questions and everything.
2: Oh, thank you so much. We're learning as we go along too, but we are definitely super allies of the community. And as we learn more, we want to share what we're learning with the world and, and hopefully help a little bit along the way.
1: Thank you so much for doing what you do here. Let's stay in touch. We're so impressed with how Dylan's understanding of his role and responsibilities has evolved, especially in light of his conversations with more experienced donors and his advocacy work. I hope we made the point of the importance of community support as illustrated by Dylan's experiences. We also commend Dylan's frankness about his experience with the fertility industry, including the need for legal reforms and ethical practices to protect all parties involved. Corey and I are going to follow Dylan's ongoing journey and we're glad that he's already agreed to come back on the podcast because we only scratched the surface of his story. We also encourage you to reach out to us with your own Donor Conception stories. Please join us next Tuesday for our fun conversation with Laura High. Laura is a stand-up comedian and was donor-conceived. She performs comedic takedowns of the industry and explains how donor-conception actually works. Thanks for listening.
2: Family Twist features original music from Cosmic Afterthoughts, and is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.